So xenoestrogens are chemicals that are found in plastics. So when you mentioned plastics, and so they are chemicals that have estrogen-like properties and they stimulate your estrogen receptors. It's really hard without doing some you know, research like toxin screens to be able to measure an amount of xenoestrogen that's in somebody's body. But we do know that they are acting like estrogen. And one of the ideas for endometriosis is that is it is an estrogen dominant state mm-hmm. um, and that we're kind of overexposed to estrogen compared to progesterone and that that stimulates that endometrial cells and, and causes more inflammation from that perspective. So again, not only are we working on protecting the liver or helping the liver do its job by minimizing chemicals, but you know we really are affecting our hormones when we're exposed to those chemicals as well and and creating an imbalance. So when we start digging, why do some people have worse endometriosis or worse irregular periods or whatever their symptoms are, that certainly can start to be a place to investigate. Is this somebody who eats a lot of processed foods that, you know, drinks their water out of the plastic bottles um, microwaves their food and in, in the plastic and that kind of stuff so that we're being exposed to so much of those xenoestrogens and causing an imbalance there. Hi, and welcome to the Endo Babe podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Bree. I'm an ultrasound tech turned endometriosis coach, positivity and self-love advocate, a seven on the Enneagram, and I am a proud dog mom. And I'm on a mission to help you live more positively with endometriosis and be happy in your body. On the Endo Babe podcast, we're going to dive deep into all things endometriosis, mindset, self-love, health, and so much more. This is a badass podcast for badass endo babes. And I want you to leave this podcast feeling inspired and empowered on your own health journey with more confidence and the belief that you too can have more good days than bad. Are you with me, babes? See you in the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Endo Babe podcast. Today we have Dr. Amy Duffy from Carolina Integrative Health in Clemson. Welcome, Dr. Duffy. I'm so excited to chat today. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. So Dr. Duffy is an integrative and functional medicine doctor, and I know you're extremely passionate about really empowering your patients to maximize their vitality and really improve their quality of life. And I know how important that is for women and people with endometriosis right now. So I'm very excited to chat today. Um, Can you tell people a little bit about what got you into functional medicine and how you became a functional medicine doctor? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll start way back when I absolutely loved babies when I was a little girl. I had all the Cabbage Patch Kids and um, all the accessories, and I started babysitting. Actually, when I was eleven, I was at a um, a pancake breakfast, and there was this, you know, like classic Gerber baby, you know, sitting on the playground playing in the sandbox. And I just came up and started, you know, interacting with him. And the mom was like, Oh, he loves you. Like, do you babysit? And I said, well, I'm only 11. So I don't know if I'm allowed to do that yet. And, um, so she said, well, maybe you can just come over and entertain him while I'm doing some housework or whatnot. So that was my first job. And then that progressed, you know, to actually babysitting for that family and her sister had babies. And so when I was 17 and a senior in high school, um, her sister was having baby number two, and they invited me to actually be in the delivery room with them um, for this birth. And I mean, I was just floored. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, and it was Thanksgiving in Colorado, it was starting to snow a little bit. And it was about 930 at night. I got the phone call and it was time to go to the hospital. So I was there. 
you know, I watched her, she did quite a natural birth. She was in the bathtub. She had a doula. She was, you know, marching up and down the floor, um, in the hallways. And it was a, it was quite a long process. I really didn't have any experience with that. And most 17 year olds don't, um, with the birth process, but once, you know, it was time and they kind of sat me propped up at the, at the head of the bed, like right behind mom's head. So I didn't, I I wasn't in the business, business end of things, but I was um, able to see. And so, you know, when that baby was out and placed on mama's belly, I just thought this is the coolest thing ever. And I need to do this. So I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to deliver babies. So that was kind of my way back when, how did I become a doctor experience? And so I really thought for a long time that that, that was really what my goal was. So, um, I, five years of medical school majored in, I mean, um, undergrad majored in chemistry and then went to medical school, um, and really ended up going into family practice with the idea that not only did I love delivering babies, but I really, missed them after, you know, after the OB process was done, you kind of say goodbye and move on. And I thought, well, family medicine is really cool because you can deliver the babies and then you see them grow and take care of them afterwards. So I chose a program here in South Carolina that was really heavy in obstetrics, but then we could continue. And so that's where really I started um, this whole process of kind of taking care of the whole person from, from birth and further on. And then I had the amazing opportunity to work in the OBGYN office in our small little town um, and deliver a whole lot more babies, but I got thrown right into a a big world of women's health that I hadn't really experienced before, and that was hormones. Um, Very little conversation and, and discussion in medical school. You know, oftentimes somebody has any kind of hormone related, uh, symptom, irregular periods, heavy periods, bleeding, anything like that. It was, well, let's try a birth control pill. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about all the different types of birth control pills and which you would use for different situations, but very little conversation about why, um, this, you know, 15 year old or 17 year old is having, you know, these period problems, um, compared to the rest of the population. And, So when I would, and then it, you know, went into, of course, later in life with menopause and hormone replacement in, in, um, you know, older women and the scare of, of hormones and and the negativity um, that surrounds that. And, and so there's a lot of conversation about what should I do with my hormones? And I really just wasn't happy with either birth control or, you know, here's your pill for your hot flashes. We can only use it for a little bit of time because it might have some scary, side effects. Um, long-term, we know that there's an increased risk of breast cancer and stroke and heart disease. And so why in the world would I want to give this to my patient, um, without a really long consent form, which just seemed sort of crazy. So I really started diving into bioidentical hormones and sort of the natural hormone approach, testing hormones in a different way. So I do saliva testing as opposed to blood testing to really see what the actual, hormone balance that the tissues are being exposed to. It really gives us a better idea of what's going on there. And from looking at natural hormone balancing and testing, it just opened this world. I call it the Alice in Wonderland going in this tiny little keyhole into this amazing, um, you know, sort of rainforest, I would call it with colors. I mean, I can visualize, you know, just this idea of this functional medicine world. There's so much out there that, that has been studied, but really isn't talked about, you know, in, in kind of traditional medicine. 
as to what the reasons are why people have the symptoms that they have. So um, that's really where my start was. That was about 12, 15 years ago when I started, you know, really learning more about hormones um, and how how we can change those um, or balance them appropriately. And then from there, I started this integrative medicine practice 10 years ago, and it's really dove into other pillars. So hormone, I call one pillar of health, but we have our gut and our immune system and stress management, um, fitness and exercise and movement. So, um, you know, nutrition is a huge part of that as well. So that's kind of my background and where, where I came from and how I end up doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. And it's beautiful. I love that you wanted to like dive deeper. Cause I don't feel like a lot of doctors do that. They're like, Oh, I'll just give you birth control, you know? And you're yeah. like, but why are the hormones off? Like, why aren't they balanced in the first place? Right and really dug into the functional medicine aspect of things. Like, why do you think that hormones and things like that aren't taught in medical school? Like, why isn't this a combo in the medical schools and you have to like get extra as yeah. like a specialty, I guess. Again, I think they try to make it very simplistic and, yeah. and I don't know, you know, I went to medical school 20, uh, I had a baby in medical school. She turned 21 yesterday. So, you know, it was 21 years ago that I was, um, in third year medical school. So it may be different now than what it was. I doubt it, but you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't attest to that cause I'm not there now. Um, but really, yes, we did have, an, we did have, um, lectures about the normal menstrual cycle and what hormone changes you would see. Um, but very little conversation about what happens when it's not normal, you know, why are we having, you know, an imbalance in the hormones? And I think that it really, um, I'm sure probably started 20 years ago, but I would say in the last 20 years, our exposure to toxins, our environment, our food, you know, 20 years ago was really the start of kind of the whole low fat diet, you know, um, adding chemicals instead of real food into our into our diets say, Hey, you need to eat this. It's low fat. It's fat free. It's, you know, better for your heart. Um, and really what we introduced into our bodies is a, is a lot of chemicals instead of real food. Um, and I would say that that's probably a huge part of where the hormone changes are happening is, is at the level of, of literally our body having to handle chemicals. Um, from a liver perspective. And again, we can get, you know, we can go off on tangents on everywhere, but you know, I, I, I use this analogy all the time in helping my patients understand why their liver is so important. And, and, you know, it's like, how in the world do hormones and my liver have anything to do with each other? You know, and we don't have chronic heavy drinkers. I mean, we do, but, but, you know, in my people who are, you know, dealing with endometriosis are probably not in that category. Right. Um, so they don't think their liver makes a difference, but your liver is kind of like, um, the dryer lint catcher, you know, the lint catcher in your dryer. And if you do load after load, after load of laundry, and you never change the lint out or clean out that filter, what do you notice is that your, your dryer isn't as efficient, right? You hear the buzzer, you go to open the door, you feel the heat come out, but your clothes are still wet. And you triage it a little bit, you know, oh, well, maybe that was a big load and I'm just going to run it through again. Or, um, you know, I don't know, you start thinking about why it's not damaged to the point. Now, if you went farther with that and you never clean that filter out, there is going to be a point where you might 
um, damage the function of your dryer and it doesn't work anymore, but right now it's still working. It's just not efficient. And if you clean that filter out, then immediately the next load is right back where it's supposed to be and doing its job. And our liver is our filter for all things. So all these chemicals that we're being exposed to really clogs up the liver and your liver is responsible for all of the metabolism of your hormones, converting, you know, one hormone to another hormone or the storage of hormones and, and getting it out of, out of your body, um, and, and passing it through. So as your body is doing its job to make hormones, if they're not metabolized appropriately, or they're stored incorrectly, then you're going to have imbalances there. So one of the things um, that I think is really important in my patients that I talk with, no matter what kind of hormone conversation we're having, is that we need to make sure your liver is working, you know, before we really dive into treatment. Um, and I think that that has been a huge transition for the success of, of my patients is not just, okay, here's your hormone. Even if I'm using bioidentical hormones, you know, it might help them, but if they're, you know, still, if their hormones are not being metabolized appropriately, then they may not see the results we're looking for, or they can have some side effects to that later. So, you know, there's all kinds of ways that you can detox. I'm not talking about colonoscopy clean out, but you know, just being aware of, okay, what are the things that are clogging up my liver and making, you know, making it work harder? So, you know, what chemicals are you being exposed to? We talked a little bit about, um, you know, when you think about lifestyle, diet and exercise, it's like, go back to the real foods and, and as close to nature as possible. Um, and getting rid of those chemicals is huge. Yeah. So what steps would you like for anybody listening right now? Like what steps would you recommend for them to start just being more conscious about the things that they're putting into their body or improving their liver health? So, you know, and I think it's interesting because we're talking about your liver health and then how that affects your hormones, but this could be for health of any reason. You know, we start talking about weight management or, you know, diabetes, cholesterol, you know, how do I just eat healthier in general is, um, you know, I always say if you have the least amount of steps that it takes from where the food came from to when it's going into your mouth. So if you're going to need an apple, preferably an organic apple, you can pick it off the tree and you can eat it. So there's like one step, you know, from picking it to eating it. Um, you know, as you go farther, you might need to cook something like a raw, you know, chicken. You know, obviously we're not, well, some people might be going out into their backyard and, and you know, harvesting the chicken. But for the most part, you know, you want to have minimal steps from, from where it came from to how it's getting into your body. Um, so I think that's easier to understand than, than the idea. Everybody knows what processed food is, but they really don't know what, pro, you know, they say, okay, that's Twinkies, right? But they don't understand that even like pasta is a processed food. Even if it's organic and gluten-free pasta, it's still processed. Um, you know, we don't go out and pick wheatgrass and just start eating it, you know, as we're walking through the field, some people might stick it in, you know, hay like a farmer does, but we don't even eat the wheat that comes, you know, out of the mill as flour. And we don't eat spoonfuls of flour. Like there's a lot of steps that have to go, you know, into eating something like that as a cracker, a cookie, a pasta, a bread, you know, something like that. So that's the first thing I tell people, no matter what we're trying to do is minimize the steps from where it came from. So if we're eating whole foods and we're eating, you know, your fruits and your vegetables and your, your meats that haven't been super highly processed or messed with. So less chemicals that leads to 
Can we try organic as much as we can, if we can afford it and it's readily available, free range, grass-fed beef, all that kind of stuff, because those are just less messed with. There's no you know, chemical association with that. So from a food perspective, that's step number one to avoid the stress um, on your liver from that perspective. And it is interesting, like how much diet plays such a role in just our overall general well-being. And I know that seems like a silly statement to say because we all have food and we have to eat to live. But yeah. most of us, like we're we live in a society where convenient food is easier. You know, there's drive-throughs everywhere. There's yeah. there's pseudo food everywhere. There's fake meats. There's so much fake garbage that yeah. is like marketed to us to to have and to enjoy is like good, healthy food. And as long, I mean, it's all processed and not good for you. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, why can McDonald's have, you know, whatever two for two, you know, burgers, because there's no actual food in there, you know, right. it's cheap chemicals that they can put together and it tastes good. I, you know, not saying it doesn't, it's not the best burger I've ever had, but you know, if yeah. I had to choose a French fry, I'd probably choose McDonald's French fries, but that's, <laughs> you know, we know that that's not ideal and right. easier said than done. I mean, again, we are living in this busy life. And so there's certainly tricks to how do we, uh, you know, incorporate being able to eat those healthier foods into our lifestyle because it is getting a little bit easier. I mean, fast food restaurants are, you know, serving more salads and things, but even then, you know, you think you're eating a salad, but really still, where did that chicken come from that they're putting on it? And, you know, it's usually topped with tortilla chips or croutons or, you know, all this sugary nuts and stuff like that, that still, you know, lends to some dysfunction there. So dressing with um, like a hundred ingredients in it. Yeah. Yeah. So still just full of chemicals. So, yeah. you know, again, you hear this all the time, but it's like, the least amount of chemicals. If you look at the, you know, if you look at the ingredient list and you can actually pronounce and read the things that's number one. And then number two is just the least amount of ingredients in something is going to be um, less stress on your liver. So I would say from a detox perspective, we got to, we got to detox from the environment. You know, we got to put less toxins into our body to allow our livers to process and do what they're supposed to do naturally. And that's going to help with not just things like endometriosis and hormonal imbalances, but thyroid, you know, mm -hmm. we see a lot of thyroid imbalances and dysfunction, especially in irregular uh, cycles um, in women. And, you know, I think that's, that probably comes from a lot of that stress, you know, that we're seeing in the liver as well. Interesting there. I do know a lot of women that have hypothyroidism that also have endometriosis and not necessarily mm -hmm. like Hashimoto's yeah. immune, just like low functioning thyroid. Yeah. And, you know, again, you can go back, back, back. Where did it come from in the first place? But there's definitely a dysfunction in the ability to convert your inactive thyroid hormone to active thyroid hormone, which happens in the liver. So if that conversion isn't happening, your body's screaming for more. So it may be that your, your, your thyroid is doing its job, at least in the beginning, um, but it's, you know, the, the tissues are not being exposed to the thyroid hormone appropriately. And that's a pseudo hypothyroid that then, you know, per, proceeds further. Um, so you asked me, you know, other ways that people just listening could detox. Um, so of course, step number one is it's like cleaning, you know, if you clean, you're mopping your floor and then, you know, your kids, or your dogs come through with muddy feet, you know, you're just 
walking around mud. You're yeah, you're just moving mud around, you know, moving dirt kind of thing. So so detoxing is not helpful if you're going to continue to add the toxins back in. So that's why we start with uh, let's let's be aware of you know where these chemicals are coming from and try to remove them first. Um, you've got to have your gut in a in a better place to detox. So in my patients, we usually do um, a pre-eliminate things that we know cause stress on our system, and that might be eliminating some foods that we know are high inflammatory foods. <laughs> you know, gluten is a big one, and again, it's just because it's full of chemicals, um, and we can have a whole conversation about gluten and why. You know, we want to remove that, but everybody's reactive to it. I'll tell I, I do hundreds of food sensitivity testing, and I've never had a patient who doesn't have a reaction to gluten. It's there, it's crazy. Um, and again, you know, I think it's just because it's been chemical, you know, it, it's produced with chemicals, and so we're reacting to that. But you know, removing foods and and you can easily Google um, foods that are that are, you know, more likely to cause inflammation and anti-inflammatory diet. There's plenty out there. They're all basically going to tell you the same thing. You know, there's the top foods like gluten, dairy. Um, so you can do some elimination from that standpoint and see, you know, if you notice some difference there, um, get your, you know, there are some anti-inflammatory um, things like curcumin um, or herbs that can help probiotics are going to start to help your gut move and metabolize things better and um, help support some of that inflammation in your gut. So probiotics are really important. And so we want to make sure that your gut is doing what it's supposed to do, because when you take any sort of detoxing type of supplements or do a detox, you know, people can go to whole foods or some nature store and buy a three-day detox, or, you know, you can go online and buy any kind of detox kits and things like that. But you're, you're either not going to see any results or you're going to be more likely to have side effects, not necessarily dangerous. It's not going to harm you, but you're just going to not feel good because if you release a bunch of chemicals and toxins from storage, and your body isn't prepared and doesn't know what to do with those things, then you're just going to have a lot of toxins, you know, released into your system and you're going to not feel good. So you're going to be more likely to have headaches, fatigue, rashes, some stomach upset, things like that. So, you know, you want to kind of prepare at least a week or two before you're going to do any kind of detox to get your gut working. And it may be longer, you know, you might need a month of, of eating more clean, um, and taking some probiotics or some anti-inflammatory type things, uh, omegas and fish oil is another way to give us some anti-inflammatory support. There's a billion different detox things out there. So, you know, I, I don't know how much information you want to dig into that. Um, there's different ways to do it. There's lots of supplements, you know, so, so there's a lot of research that you can do on that. Um, we certainly have some support on my website that you can go to. But even something as easy as like milk thistle, that's pretty common. It's not going to be harmful. That's a, that's a, you know, common sort of liver support. You know, like I said, I mean, I can go on and on and on with different detox supplements, but that may be a whole nother conversation that we want to have um, from that perspective, but start with cleaning your gut, getting that inflammation resolved. And then, you know, we can do some research on, on what are some things that can help your liver or, or getting a little three day, six day detox kit is a good place to start. My patients do a 60 day detox. So we do 30 days of the gut healing, um, reducing inflammation, elimination diet, and then 30 days of the detox. So it's much more complicated than just pop over to a whole foods and, um, and grab something. But, you know, again, for somebody who's just trying to figure it out, that's a, that's a easy place to start. 
For sure. And how do you think like plastics and all of the other like chemicals that are in our beauty products and cleaners and hair products and yeah. everything, there's stuff everywhere. And I know like something I talk about on here a lot is going at it one little area at a time, because it can be really overwhelming yeah. how many toxins we're exposed to in every aspect of our life. Right. right and there, you know, it can be overwhelming because, you know, sometimes you can't, you got to breathe, you know, we got to drink water. Um, and yes, you can be home and you can buy a filter for your water and that's all great, but then you're going to have times when you're not, you know, at home and drinking your filtered water. So, you know, you got to give yourself a little bit of leeway there, but I do think that, that doing some research and, and understanding what are some things that we can control and you're a hundred percent, right. So, one of the terms that we hear um, and and we use is the term called xenoestrogen. Mm -hmm. So xenoestrogens are chemicals that are found in plastics. So when you mentioned plastics, um, and so they are chemicals that have estrogen-like properties and they stimulate your estrogen receptors. It's really hard without doing some, you know, research like toxin screens to be able to measure an amount of xenoestrogen that's in somebody's body. But we do know that they are, um, they are acting like estrogen. And one of the ideas for endometriosis is that is it is an estrogen dominant state mm -hmm. um, and that we're kind of overexposed to estrogen compared to progesterone and that that stimulates that endometrial cells um, and and causes more inflammation from that perspective. So again, not only are we working on protecting the liver or helping the liver do its job by minimizing chemicals, but you know we really are, affecting our hormones when we're exposed to those chemicals as well and, and creating an imbalance. So when we start digging, why do some people have, you know, worse, worse endometriosis or worse irregular periods or whatever their symptoms are, that certainly can start to be a place to investigate. Is this somebody who eats a lot of processed foods that, you know, drinks their water out of the plastic bottles um, microwaves their food and in the plastic and that kind of stuff so that we're being exposed to so much of those xenoestrogens and causing an imbalance there. Totally. And then if you're exposing yourself to the xenoestrogens that way, and then your liver isn't functioning properly and you're not having like a bowel movement or multiple bowel movements yep. a day, right? Like you're not getting rid of that estrogen. It just causes like a dumpster fire. And then you're not moving, you know, yeah. so then it gets stuck in your lymphatics and then goes into your fatty tissue. And then we're having weight gain because we don't feel good and we're eating bad and we're not moving. And so the more adipose tissue or fat that you have, the more you're going to store estrogen in your, and your fat even starts producing estrogen, like an, like a whole nother organ. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. That's so insane. women that women that are overweight tend to have higher estrogen levels than those that are that are normal weight. And then the opposite, you know, so we get the idea of the, you know, classically it's the teenager athletic girl who's very underweight and under fat. And then they have irregular periods for the other reason. They don't have enough estrogen because they're not making any, you need fat to make some. Right, um, right. So it's a nice balance there, but yeah, absolutely. You know, movement is not just about burning calories for exercise, right? One of the reasons that we need to get up and move regularly throughout the day is that our lymphatic tissue mm -hmm. is getting rid of all those toxins that are stored in our tissues. And if we're sedentary and we're sitting, then it's just another opportunity for those toxins to just get stored in our tissues instead of get moved out through our lymphatics. So 
moving around frequently and trying to sweat when you can, because sweating is going to help us release those toxins as well. Interesting. So it really goes back to those pillars you were talking about in the beginning, mm-hmm. gut health, hormone health, exercise, diet, yep. all of it. And then there's stress, you know, stress, and yes. <laughs> stress, yeah, yeah. stress, everybody has, um, everybody's experience. Everybody knows what stress is. And uh, I mean, it's going to affect us in a billion, a billion different ways. And whether there's a direct stress connection or indirectly, you know, when we're stressed out, we tend to want to go through the drive-through and eat those comfort foods. And we're less likely to want to exercise. We don't get adequate sleep. You know, we tend to want to drink chemicals like, you know, wine and, and beverages or God, I really, gosh, I really need my, you know, Coke today. And, you know, that kind of stuff. So stress makes us make poor decisions um, a lot of times. And, and so again, that's a huge pillar that we address um, in my practice is, is you can't do any of this without helping to manage stress. And I can't take your stress away. That's not my job. I can't change your home, your home life, your finances, your, your work, you know, situation, but can we help your body, you know, deal with stress in a little bit better way? And, you know, we've got outside stressors, it's work, it's finances, it's family life, it's whatever's causing you stress, but if you're putting a bunch of chemicals and things in your body, that's a stress on the inside. Mm-hmm. Every day you eat something that your body's having to go, what is this thing? Do I, is this a danger to me? Let me put my guard up for a second till I figure you out. Oh, I don't know what you are. So I'm going to package you up and put you over here so that you don't cause damage. Cause I don't recognize you. That's a lot of work for your body to have to do all the time. Every day food can be, you know, the greatest source of medicine. It can be the slowest form of poison. We hear that mm-hmm quote a lot. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if your body's constantly have to putting up a, a barrier or work hard to manage whatever that food is, that's going in, you may not feel a direct effect of that, but that's a lot of stress internally on your system as well. For sure. And I know like for me personally, stress is one of my biggest triggers for endometriosis yep. layers. Yep. If I'm very, very stressed. Like I'm going to have a lot of pain. And so like managing stress for myself has not only like helped my mental health, but it's helped my physical health as well. (laughs) Absolutely. They're all interconnected, right? I mean, our pain threshold is very much changed by whether we have, you know, stress and that can go into your neurotransmitters and your dopamine and serotonin and all that kind of stuff can be affected by stress. You know, I think we live in this world where people are familiar sort of with, with what we call sympathetic or your fight or flight. When you have a stress, you know, you got saber tooth tiger chasing you, you're going to go into fight or flight or freeze mode. Sometimes that happens too, but that's what we call sympathetic. And, and, you know, I think about that being up in a higher wavelength. And then what you should have happen is you come down into parasympathetic, which is your rest and digest recover phase. And we should really in the perfect world live somewhere in between that you know, where it's a nice, slow curve going in between the two. But what happens is that, you know, we, we get up in this, in the sympathetic with some stressor. And just when we think we're coming back down again, you know, something else happens and we really live up here in this high sympathetic state all the time. And until we purposefully do work to bring us back down into parasympathetic, we're not resting, recovering, we're not digesting. So that's where all this IBS and and gut stuff and inflammation can come from um, that then, you know, triggers whatever our inflammatory response is going to be. So, 
there's a lot of work that you can do to be, you know, everybody knows the term mindful meditation, you know, but I love to Google just how do I get more parasympathetic? And there's a lot of suggestions there. And certainly, you know, breathing, abdominal breathing, counting your breathing, any kind of meditation is going to do that. You know, there's all kinds of essential oils that can help from that perspective with lavender, orange, and the citrus stuff can be really good for bringing us back into parasympathetic as well. Even though some people think about that being more stimulating, it's actually in a different mechanism that I like to do. I got a diffuser back there on. And so Mm -hmm. it has orange and clove in it today. So, you know, it's always about how can I be more purposeful in getting myself back into the parasympathetic and helping my body manage that stress a little bit better. For sure. And I know, like you were just talking about the waves basically of like going really high and then we're supposed to come back down low. And like, I know a lot of people with endometriosis and chronic illness, like we have a lot of trauma around Mm -hmm. living in chronic pain or like even medical trauma from doctors. Right. And so we're, we're constantly living in this like fight or flight mode, right. That just increases your stress hormone. It increases your inflammation. Like it's all tied together. So I love that. Like, what can you do to kind of bring yourself back down, even if it's a diffuser or like something that it doesn't have to be some big, huge thing. Yeah, no, it can be easy and it can be two minutes of box breathing the mm-hmm. four, you know, where you, you breathe in for a count of four, you hold your breath for four, you breathe out for four, hold your breath again. And like, imagine that you're, you're making a box and two minutes of box breathing can really, you know, settle that down and bring you back in and very good to do right before you eat. Mm. You know, we, we tend to eat on the go. We're running around, we're crazy, whatnot. And so if you can take a moment here when you're, when you are eating. So it brings you into parasympathetic when you're eating. Yeah. And totally. that's, you know, uh, you know, rather than, and, and I think it's going to help us be more conscious of eating our food, enjoying our food, being present at the moment with our food. And then we're going to be less likely to overeat um, or crave those, the sweets and the carbs and things like that. So there's a lot of little tricks you can do just, just on your own. You don't have to go find a doctor, you know, to, you know, you may want some more evaluation, more detailed, you know, what are some of those foods that um, may be causing stress on your body that you can't figure out that you're not aware of, but there's a, there's a, there's a place to start with some of those things. Which is really cool. And I love that you're giving all of these resources. One thing this is backtracking a bunch back to the gluten. Yeah. <laughs> because I know for me, like, I, everybody, well, most people listening have heard my story a bunch, but I had multiple surgeries and it didn't really help my pain. And I kind of got into taking my health into my own hands. And I found like the endo diet, which is you remove everything, right? Like no fun at all. And it was very overwhelming for me. And so I just did gluten. And within Mm -hmm. like two, three weeks, I, my pain had reduced to drastically, Um, And I know, I think I saw a study recently that was saying that a lot of people with endometriosis have the same genotype as people with celiac disease. Mm -hmm. And then you were saying that most people, almost everybody, you haven't seen anybody that doesn't react to gluten. Do you think that that's just American gluten (laughs) or the way that we like mass, like whatever the chemicals on it. So they all germinate at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely has to do with, uh, you know, when you want to throw GMOs in there, I mean, yeah. our genetically modified ingredients. Um, and so I think our gluten has really changed over time because it's, it's, it's something that is, you know, really can be super cheap and feed the masses. And so how can we overproduce this and, and genetically modify it. So we don't have to use, you know, chemicals It can grow in any kind of environment and withstand, you know, drought and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, science has, has really helped, uh, gluten, you know, in a, in a way from that perspective, but, you know, I, I think about this too. I remember I'm in my forties. So, um, you know, I remember as a, as a young person and they still today have bakeries, you know, and you would go into a bakery, and that's where you went to get your bread. You know, you didn't get your bread at the grocery store. You went to the bakery and they would have the fresh bread in the front. And then, you know, they have day old bread sitting in the back that was already 50% off because it was already starting to get hard or dry. And you could use that for your croutons, or your breadcrumbs or French toast or something like that. Right. So, you know, today we can go into a grocery store and even if you're in the bakery section of the grocery store, but definitely in the bread section, you know, you can buy a loaf of bread and have it sit on your counter for two weeks and be just fine. Still be soft, still smell good. There's no visible mold anyway that you can see. So I think that it's not just the gluten, but it's, it's how we're eating, you know, it and how it's produced and, and what it's put into that it's creating a lot of chemical dysfunction. For sure. It's scary. Yeah. And, and so one of my pet peeves is gluten-free everything as well. So, you know, you can buy gluten-free bread and gluten-free pasta, but you know, you're still getting a whole lot of chemicals because what are they doing to whatever that flour is to make it nice and fluffy and tastes just like a gluten, you know, a gluten made bun. You know, if you go to a restaurant and get gluten-free bun and you go, man, this tastes really good. Like what did they do to that rice flour, corn flour, whatever it is. And you're really getting the same thing thing. So, you know, it's really probably better to be somewhat more grain-free from that perspective. When we think about it's not just gluten, but other grains, corn is another one that's been, you know, there's high fructose corn syrup and everything. Corn is used as a filler for a lot of stuff. And it also has been GMO and mass produced. So, you know, there's a lot of issues with corn. A lot of people have cross-reactivity between corn and gluten too. Interesting. And a lot of gluten-free things, like if you go to a pizza joint and you look at the ingredients and and the calories or, you know, sugar content of gluten-free pizza, it's got like twice the amount of carbs as gluten-free or gluten pizza crust because they have to put a bunch of sugar in it in order for it to taste any kind of good. So, you know, interesting. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> There's so like here we are trying to be healthier because we're eating gluten-free, right? Yeah. You get gluten-free pizza and, you know, gluten-free buns when you go out to eat and stuff. And we're just still adding the chemicals. And, and so, I mean, you might feel better and I don't, I don't want to discourage people from at least trying and starting that process. But I, like I said, it's like nails on a chalkboard and people are like, oh, I eat gluten-free. And then they're just still full of chemicals, you know? I had a coworker in Austin who her daughter was like, I'm going to be vegan. But the only thing that she ate was Oreos and French fries. Yeah. Like be a French fry vegetarian or French fry vegan. And you're yeah. never that's eating a vegetable. <laughs> like that's probably worse for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whole point of being vegetarian is to eat more vegetables. So yeah, I went out to dinner last night and super excited, but most restaurants, what I try to do is order whatever the vegetarian meal is and then add my protein. Um, 
so this restaurant, it was just a mixture of, um, it was like broccoli and um, this kind of sauteed spinach with garlic and portobello mushrooms and some sweet potato. I don't remember. It was just so colorful and beautiful. And then I had some grilled shrimp right on top and it was like the best meal ever. So if you're tired of salads, then, you know, find whatever the vegetarian version is, and then you can add, add a protein. If you, if you want to do that, you don't have to, but I think that's a really nice trick when you're, when you're trying to search for something on the healthier side. For sure. And for anybody kind of going back to all of the different like xenoestrogens and toxins and things in literally everything. Um, there's a website called the Environmental Working Group, the EWG.org. Mm-hmm. And they actually have like guides on better for you products, better for you everything. They yeah, also, yeah. they're the ones that do like the dirty dozen and the clean 15 mm-hmm. for food. Um, so it's just kind of a good resource if you're at home and you're wondering. Yeah, they actually have, if you get it, um, get their app on your phone. They have a scanner so you can scan the barcode on that product and it will give you, um, you know, it gives you a scale from green, yellow, red. So, you know, if you're trying to figure out, even if you're looking at a product that looks more natural for, um, you know, a skincare product or a shampoo or something like that, you can actually use the app and scan it with your phone and it will tell you its score based on their recommendations. So that's a really neat thing to do when you're shopping might be hard to do if you're shopping on Amazon. Although I think you can go, you don't have to scan. You can, you can use their app and Google the product name and it's building, you know, I mean, some, there may be some products that you can't find there, but they really do have a pretty good resource for products. So you can try to find the least amount of chemicals and yeah, that clean 15 and dirty dozen is a great resource. Having that picture on your phones when you're at the grocery store. And that's good for, for trying to save a little bit of money too, because not everything has to be organic. So that clean 15 idea is that these are the foods that you can eat without them having to be organic. Um, so that can save you some dollars when you're overwhelmed with, you know, trying to shop everything organic blueberries, for instance, have a beautiful built-in mechanism for not needing to be chemicalized because they, they fight off birds and bugs and stuff on their own. So you don't have to spray them with chemicals. Interesting. And, and so you can eat those and not be organic. Very cool. Well, this is such a great conversation. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? I think, you know, your story is classic um, and, and your experience and, and what, what I would say, why am I, why am I doing what I'm doing? I mean, I love my patient interactions. I love what I do, but I do things like podcasts and TVs and writing books because I want people to know that there's another way, you know, there's always another way. And so don't stop. It's, it can be very frustrating and I get that, but don't give up. If you're not getting the answers that make sense to you, then keep searching, keep diving no matter where you are. I mean, I'm in Clemson, South Carolina, but I don't need you to be my patient. I need you to find somebody that can help you. So I would be happy for you to be my patient. You can certainly find more information about us, but I want you to just search, you know, is there a functional integrative medicine doctor, nutritionist, anybody who can start the process for you um, and help you understand what's going on with your body and what are some things that you can, you can be empowered to do on your own to get better, just like you've experienced Chelsea. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you. And I will put all of your links for everything below in the show notes. So if anybody is wanting to reach out, um, all the information is down there. So thank you for coming on. It was such a good conversation. I loved it. 
Oh, babe, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I had so much fun and I'm so fucking grateful for every single one of you. If you thought that this was helpful or you loved any part of this podcast, I would love, love, love for you to screenshot it and post it on Instagram at Chelsea Bree, C-H-E-L-S-E-A-A-B-R-I and take me. I would love to see what you're getting out of the episodes. It makes me so happy. I would also love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that just helps other wonderful endopapes find me as well. I adore you and I believe that you don't deserve to feel like shit. You deserve to have a normal life despite endometriosis. So I love you so much and I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll catch you on next week's episode of the Endobabe Podcast.